anyone, marginalized women, young women, um, women who are quote unquote nobodies in the dominant culture's eyes, can contain just the entire world, the universe within them. You know, the the most sacred, the most holy lives inside of them. And okay, and no, I seriously, I was like, that's gonna be a quote. Oh. That's gonna be a quote right there. Like, it contains the entire universe oh within my them. Gosh. Yes, cat. Sorry, yes. I was like, unmute, unmute. Gosh, that was so beautiful. <laughs> I know, I know. You're listening to season six of Upside Down Podcast. This is Lindsay Wallace. I'm Kayla Craig. I'm Patty Taylor. And I'm Elisa Molina. Upside Down Podcast is an ecumenical conversation at the intersection of justice, spirituality, and culture. And we have created this space with you in mind. So join us for unscripted conversations on God's Upside Down Kingdom. Welcome back to Season 6 of Upside Down Podcast. I am Kayla Craig, and I will be your host for today's episode. As always, show notes can be found on Instagram at Upside Down Podcast. And if you haven't already, here's your little reminder to go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review our show. And if you're able to throw a little bit of coin our way, head over to patreon.com slash upside down podcast where you can help keep this podcast free and free of ads. Yes, we are so thankful for everyone who keeps a little podcast that could going. As we shared this season, we are so excited to bring to you the theme of persistence. And for the next several episodes in this entire season, we'll, we'll be pulling the threads of what it means to persist in our faith in Christ and in our pursuits of a more just and equitable world for everyone. Mm. I love that, Patty. So it's it's Patty and I on the podcast today, but it's not just Yay! us because we are so thrilled to have a writer that we deeply admire, all of us. Kat Armas, join us today. Kat is the author of Abuelita Faith, What Women on the Margins Teach Us About Wisdom, Persistence, and Strength. Kat, welcome. Hi, Kat. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Hi. And I just love that the theme is persistence and that is like the subtitle of my book. So <laughs> yeah. that kind of works out so perfectly. It really does. It does. I know. I know. When we got when we got copies, we were like, we have got to get Kat on. And we are really like in the very tail end of what you even have margin to do because something kind of big is happening in your life. Would you like <laughs> to share a little something? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am like about to, you know, just be ready to give birth. I don't like to say to pop because that sounds weird, <laughs> but I'm like about to give birth. So I'm just, yeah, I, I'm at the tail end of the journey and I'm super happy that I caught you guys before it happened. Yes, so <laughs> are Oh my we. goodness. We, we're truly the lucky ones. Yes, Thank we really are. You. Oh, you're so welcome. We're so excited. So for our listeners who might not know it yet, Kat is a second-generation Cuban-American. She grew up in Miami, and our co-host, Lindsay, is like, has the biggest... Her heart is in Miami. Miami Yes. (laughs) Yes, always, always. So um, 
Kat, you said that your kind of earliest theological formation came from your grandmother or your abuelita, and she fled Cuba during the height of so much political unrest, and she raised three children alone after her husband died. So combining your personal storytelling talents with um, scripture, you've kind of shown us throughout your book how voices on the margins, so that's something we talk about all the time on Upside Down, those who are often just dismissed or isolated Mm -hmm. or oppressed because of their gender, economic status, lack of education, have so, so much to teach us about following God than we often realize. So as we mentioned, Kat is kind of the perfect guest to uh, help us talk about persistence. So thank you, Kat, for being here. Thank you guys so much. So we are recording this a little bit early, but the time it airs, we are going to be in the thick of the Advent mm-hmm. season. And you'll have a so baby in your arms. Sorry to throw that in there. Yes. You'll have a baby yes. in your yes. arms. Yeah, you'll have this little like baby. You can like do the cute, like put the baby in the stuff. <laughs> Yeah, it's like my little prop. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm totally kidding. But, you know, any cute yeah. pictures you do want to, like, you know, send our right. way, we'll be we'll receive we'll them be, like, gladly. Aunties. Yeah, yeah, yep. So I'm actually having a Halloween baby, and I'm really excited about that because I love all things horror. So I'm like, how, what would it take to do like this little horror themed newborn, you know, like blood and guts? Like, would I be canceled for that? I oh probably would. But, it would but if so you fun. live your life, Kat, I love that. My sister is actually getting married on Halloween and she's wearing a black dress, costumes That's and everything. Right. So you do you. Oh my we, gosh, We'll I receive love that. those photos as well. Wow, that is amazing. <laughs> yes. Oh, I will. Can I see your sister's wedding? Oh my photo? gosh, yes. Like, I will goals. totally send you a picture of her dress. <laughs> Oh, that's so much fun. So yeah, fun. Mike, let me do a little gu- blood and guts baby <laughs> newborn theme. <laughs> well, anybody that has say. ever been in proximity to a birth that's is like, yeah, right. that's honestly, what I was just going to say. <laughs> right, right. That's so funny. Oh, my gosh. Well, one of my favorite movies is The Family Stone. And I love the line when Luke Wilson's character says, You got to let your freak flag yes. fly. And I'm like, You know what? We just got to live our, just got to do it, right. live our lives. <laughs> right. I love that. Yes. Amen. Okay. Well, 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 transitioning from Halloween to Christmas, <laughs> I would love to hear Kat and Patty, you too how your um, family and cat like your abuelita has been um, formational and how you think of Christmas and how you approach um, kind of Jesus's birth and, and the Advent season? Yeah, that's such a good question. Thank you for asking. I would say that the main thing that comes to mind when I think of Christmas and or when I think of just the Advent season when it comes to my grandmother's particularly would be Uh, Yeah, Mary would be, you know, Mary is such a a huge character or such a huge part of uh, or was a huge part of my faith growing up, Um, particularly because, you know, we're Roman Catholic and, you know, Mary is very revered in um, Roman Catholicism. And so, you know, there are a lot of little statues and, you know, images of Mary all over my grandmother's home. And that was something that um, you know, I think that there's something powerful about like tangibly, you know, seeing um, 
images and tangibly having those. And that's something that I really appreciate about my grandmother is that there are, you know, there are little weird. When I was a kid, I thought they were weird. And now I appreciate them. But, you know, icons all over the house and things like that. And so I would say that I always had um, a very tangible, very embodied view of Mary um, growing up. And, um, and now as I got older, I really have been wrestling with that because as I write in Awalita Faith, that's not always, yeah, it's a complicated reality. You know, Mary's a complicated character, but in that sense, I think Mary's a little bit of all of us, you know, we carry multitudes within us. And I think that that's true about her as well. She carried all sorts of multitudes. Um, she is, you know, understood in all sorts of really bizarre ways, you know, she is, you know, there are so many things put on her, right? And I can't imagine, you know, if Mary could talk back, like what sort of things she would say, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, I think about that a lot. But yeah, I would say that sort of this idea of embodiment of of Jesus coming into the world uh, through a woman and uh, Jesus being who Jesus is because of Mary, because of a woman, I think, um, was such a big part of, of just my idea of, of, advent of Jesus of Jesus's birth and so yeah yeah that is so I love that like I growing up for for me it was not a part of our faith tradition I didn't even come to know the Lord until college and so in my latter years I'm like wow especially being a mom and going through pregnancy and I just would like to ask you how has being pregnant you know given you a different perspective of of Mary of the of Jesus' birth and and where she was and physically in her body and where you are physically in in your body and just all that she carried and 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 all that she did. Oh yeah, that's so good. So okay, I'll I'll kind of start with um my journey. I I never was really super I don't know what the the right word is, but being a mom wasn't something that I was like super, you know, dreamed about as a little girl. You know, I know a lot of young girls do, you know, and really want to be moms. And I thought that was something that might be cool to be, but, you know, it wasn't something that I ever really, um, yeah, tried to do early on. Um, so I'm in my mid thirties and I'm having my first kid. And I used to say like, man, I can't believe people have kids in their twenties. That's so young. And now I'm like, I can't believe people have kids in their thirties. I'm so old. You know, <laughs> like, I'm like, I should have started earlier. I'm so tired and I'm so much pain. But anyways, So all that to say that my sort of my journey of motherhood really began uh, as I started investigating my faith through the perspective of women, you know, as a woman, I started really investigating my faith. Um, I had never, to me, mommying or mothering was never, I never attached that to a sort of spiritual experience um, until I, I really started. And I know I talk about this a little bit in the beginning of Awalita Faith, where I I was in that women in church history class, and I'm studying all of these women, and and you know, and I'm saying, wait a minute, you know, women played such a huge role in the history of the church, and we sort of know that, but it was so so beautiful to like see these examples, and so it wasn't until I stumbled upon Julian of Norwich, and again, I had heard of her, but when I started really digging into her work and and wrestling with Jesus as a mother, and I think that that's where things started clicking for me. Um, seeing Jesus as a mother, A, because I was raised by single women. I was raised by a mother and a grandmother. And so that image of Jesus made sense to me. Oh, okay. Yeah. Jesus as a mother, of course. Um, I didn't have much of a framework as, you know, God as a father, right? 
So that made a lot of sense to me. But that was the first time that, you know, understanding Jesus as a mother being raised, you know, Jesus was also raised by a mother and learned so much from his mother. And so I thought, oh, okay, you know, these images that Julian of Norwich talks about how we eat from the from Jesus's breast and we're being nourished by Jesus's body and, and again, being raised Catholic and how important um, that sacrament was, right? The Eucharist, and you're literally eating and partaking of the blood and, and the body of Jesus and, and everything just clicked for me. And so I think that was the moment that I thought, oh, I think I can do this mothering thing. That sounds that sounds kind of cool, you know? And that's where I really started to reflect on it. But yeah, but it was through um, that image of Jesus as a mother and not just Jesus as a mother, but Jesus being raised by, mo- by a mother and Jesus being mothered himself. Um, and so, yeah, so the, that image of Mary of, you know, and, and, and again, kind of connecting that with Jesus of, of not just Mary of complete submission and having no say in, in the matter, because that is something that sort of an image of Mary that we get that just complete submission. She had no say and that. And that's beautiful, right? Submission to God is beautiful and in her context. And in that way, if you want to talk about it, and you know, however you want to talk about it, but um, but I think it was this idea of of the lowly being sort of embodied with the you know the holy right um, that that anyone marginalized women young women um, women who are quote unquote nobodies in the dominant culture's eyes can contain just the entire world, the universe within them, you know, the, the most sacred, the most holy lives inside of them. And okay. I no, I seriously, I was like, that's <laughs> going to be a quote. Oh. That's going to be a quote right there. Like contains the entire universe. Oh within my them. Gosh. Yes, Kat. Sorry. Yes. I, I was like, unmute, unmute. Gosh, that was so beautiful. <laughs> I know. I know. No, but really. And I think that that was just like, you know, and, and thinking about all of that um, was just for me a moment where I was like, oof, this mothering thing feels like something that that I, I can do and I'm excited to do. It feels like a sacred and holy journey. Um, thanks to Mother Mary and to Julian of Norwich, who gave me permission to think of Jesus in that way as well. I, I love that so much. And it's such a expansive invitation and offering into such a bigger faith. And, you know, I think you model that so well throughout the book is just like, we're on this journey. Um, and, and you point to that throughout scripture and I love, okay. So in your book, you say a theology of Abuelitas comes alive from the pages of scripture, from the womb of our ancestor and co-madre Mary. I was, you've kind of unpacked that a little bit, but what do you mean by that? A theology of Abuelitas comes alive, especially from the womb of Mary. Yeah. Um, so I think like, you know, so to, to kind of give you a little bit of context of an Abuelita theology, I like to say that there's not just one Abuelita theologies, but there's multiple Abuelita theologies um, because Abuelita theology is personal. You know, it, it's birthed through our lived experiences, um, you know, through our, our biological and spiritual grandmothers. You know, I know a lot of folks who don't have relationships with their biological, you know, Abuelitas, but um, but there are spiritual and are at sort of ancestors of the faith who we, um, you know, who we, we are where we are because of them. And for me, so many of these women, you know, come from the Bible, Mary included, you know, um, I think, you know, as I was investigating and sort of wrestling with this Abuelita faith and wrestling with 
all of the women who are so overlooked in the Bible, but they played such a huge role in the story of God, in the story of Jesus. You know, we see women who use their sexuality and their bodies and all of these sort of scandalous things. Um, but then, but we find their names in the genealogy of Jesus, right? Like they are revered, like they are held up as examples of, of faith, that women that we are to look to, to learn from and receive from. You know, it's funny, the other day I was sitting with a group of people and there was, uh, you know, this this guy there and I don't think we agree much on theological things, but we were kind of like in the circle, we were invited by different people. And anyway, and he said something like he was supposed to preach on Hagar and he wasn't excited about it. And someone said, well, tell me about Hagar. I don't know anything about her. And he said, well, she was a prostitute, but God used her anyways. And I thought, you know, they took everything to not jump out of my skin because it wasn't God used her anyways. No, it wasn't despite her. It wasn't, no, God used her in her prostitution, which, you know, is just so, just so interesting to me, you know, how, how so many things in the Bible are thrown on their heads, right? So when I say that an Awalita theology is birthed, you know, in the womb, and, and I feel like as, when we read so many of the women in the Bible and so many women in, in our midst, you know, there, again, there is something sacred and something holy that is born within a woman. Um, when it comes to survival, when it comes to resistance, when it comes to persistence, you know, women are trying to survive, are trying to, you know, just in a world that, you know, in many ways wasn't meant for them, particularly the marginalized women. And I see that so much in Mary going back to her, you know, she was persisting and resisting and surviving, you know, with the God of the universe in her womb, you know, and that to me is, isn't Awalita theology, you know, uh, so many of the women in the Bible possess this Awalita theology, and I think it's birthed so much of it in the womb. Um, and it doesn't have to be through physically birthing a child, but it's in that, fe- you know, that feminine, that, that sexuality, that whatever you want to call it, it's in there that, um, that so much happens, you know, because women are in many ways just trying to survive and, and what do they have at their disposal, right? But in many ways, their sexuality and their femininity. Ooh, that was so good. I love it. I love it so much. So you touched on this idea of persistence, which we mentioned is kind of this thread that we're trying to unpull throughout this season. What to you is the difference between persistence and resistance? Are they the same thing? Is it like a Venn diagram? Um, what does it mean to you? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, definitely, you know, they overlap in many ways. When I think of persistence, um, you know, I talk about this, I, I know I've put it on social media and stuff, but I, I love just the image of of the persistent widow, right? And I love that Jesus, when he says, and it's a story that he tells of a, of a widow who she was, you know, trying to um, receive justice from her, you know, from her ad- adversary. I always say that word wrong. So we're trying to receive justice and And she keeps knocking on the door of the judge and knocking and knocking and knocking, saying, you know, grant me justice, grant me justice. And finally, he's like, okay, you know, I'll do it. And Jesus literally says, like, that's what you have to do. Like, literally just keep asking and keep, you know, demanding justice. Um, And he says, and surely, like, I'll give it, you know, just keep demanding justice. Like, don't stop. And to me, I think that's so profound that Jesus would say that, you know, and I know in so many ways, 
Um, and, and of course, at the end of that story, they start talking about prayer and all that stuff. And folks like to ignore the part that he says, don't stop demanding for justice. And they'd like to pretend it's just about prayer, but it's not just about prayer. He literally says, don't stop asking for justice. And so I think um, when I think of persistence, I think of of her, I think of the widow. And when I think of persistence, I think of Rizpa. Um, I talk about her in Awalita Faith, how she, she, for six months, she fought off the wild animals and she, you know, God knows the rain. I mean, I don't know what the sun, I don't know what else would have, you know, in that climate, but she's sitting there for six months demanding really um, that her sons be buried in a proper way. You know, they were unjustly murdered and they were unjustly treated. And she said, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to persist in what I think is the deeply right thing. And again, I see that in so many women in the Bible. It's just this idea that I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to give up, you know. So persistence and resistance, of course, they they come together in so many ways. Um, but persistence is this idea of knocking at the judge's door and saying, I'm not going to stop until you give me justice. And I think that, um, you know, in our world, it's in, it's easy to get tired and get burnt out and you know, all the things that would make us want to, you know, um, and, and rest, of course, is good. And I'm not saying that that's not good. But I think that the the journey of justice is just one where, where we got to lean on these the strength of our ancestors and lean on that abuelita faith of of just not not stopping, you know, even when we're tired, you know, taking a break and all of that, but um, continuing uh, to resist or continuing to persist um, because, yeah, it's, it's something that Jesus calls on us to do. So to answer your question a little bit more directly, how do they overlap? Well, I, th- I do think that um, when we think of, you know, resistance, I, I talk about a lot of little stories in scripture of how women use their bodies as protest. Um, and so you see like women in Argentina, you know, women who the, the government would, people were disappearing, their family members, their, their brothers and their sons. And these women, you know, through their efforts of whether it was literally marching down the streets or literally sewing, you know, things of protest on, on burlap sacks or whatever it was um, they were trying, you know, they were doing what the, what the widow was doing saying, no, we need justice. Um, And they were doing it in creative ways, but also they weren't letting down. We see in so many women throughout history that, you know, the generations are still demanding justice. And so I think that, you know, both of those go hand in hand. We resist and, and we persist in our resistance. That's so good, Kat. <laughs> uh, I want to go back to what you said about having our ancestors to to draw from and and that attitude of, of I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep going. And I want to ask you what there are those, especially from communities that are on the, on the margins that don't have that connection to their ancestry. And, and how can they still grab a hold of, of what comes with that, what comes with this abolita faith and, and the theology, if they don't have a direct line to the people that they come from? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, so I don't know if uh, if anyone listening was able to see the, the masterclass that I did with Dr. Yolanda Pierce uh, with Chasing Justice, um, but in her book, Uh, in my grandmother's house. She kind of talks about this as well. And so our books are, some have said like sister books in a way. Um, But she asks a question in that masterclass that I I haven't been able to stop thinking about and made me think about your question right now. But she asks, you know, who's in your spiritual genealogy? Um, And it's such a good question because I like to think, you know, 
who's in who's in your genealogy period and genealogies are are so important in scripture because they tell us so much about a person right um but yeah who's in your spiritual genealogy you know um whose shoulders do you stand on not just literally like who has passed on their faith to you but you know who speaks to you in scripture who gives you strength um in your faith who has you know i mentioned julian of norwich i mean she's in my spiritual genealogy or you know so many of the women in my book are in my spiritual genealogy um whether they be women like rigoberta menchu who is a kichemayan activist in guatemala who literally used the bible as a way to affirm her you know her her people her indigenous people were being oppressed by the government and she read the story of David and Goliath and she was like oh David took up arms against Goliath therefore my people should do the same and she literally fought against the oppressors because of the story of David and Goliath and i read that and i think yes you know and so she's in my spiritual genealogy so there are so many women um in my spiritual genealogy and i wonder you know who's in your spiritual genealogy and and how can we um draw from these stories and draw from these people and i think it takes it it takes some intentionality right it takes some intentionality to think about our ancestors you know because i think the dominant culture just wants us to pay attention to the most charismatic or to to the mo- the most educated in western terms or the most whatever um but no if we can take make it a spiritual discipline in our lives to to really think about those overlooked um ancestors you know of the faith uh, those unnamed ones the ones that we ran into you know here or there that we haven't really thought much about but who has shaped us in some way shape or form and so yeah i think an awelita faith draws from that truth um that we can learn so much about god or not we can we do learn the most about god um from from yeah people in our lives who who are unnamed or overlooked but who are genuine theologians and so who has been a theologian in your life that uh, wouldn't be considered one according to the dominant culture oh, i love that so much and you said this much earlier in the conversation but uh not discarding anyone based on differences and and recognizing how much our experience plays into what our our lived theology is and what what we are embodying and i just just wanted to point back to that because what you're talking about seems so crystal clear for those of us who profess christ that no one should be uh set cast aside and and just you know oh i can't learn anything from you because you're just a this or you're just a that you know right, you're right. you you don't have this right. title oh you don't have a phd you can't talk to me you didn't go to this seminary sorry i can't listen right. to you and that's not what Jesus did. Like there was no oh I'm discarding you based on your you know your resume of of your educational prowess and how charismatic you are. And so I just I really just want to point that out because especially you know going into this season and you know speaking of advent and we talked a bit about this last season it can be like it's just so good to be refreshed. Like I remember very, very clearly, mm-hmm. like well, this time, like last season, and we were talking about Advent. We were all kind of like, uh, you know, just because I mean, it's it's every year, you know, which is great, but it's also well, what's a new, what's a new perspective, what's a new angle? Okay, yes, yeah. you know, Jesus, Mary, born. Okay, you know, but th- this what you're what you're drawing out is is really make me want to go into this season and looking for those who would typically be discarded and see what they can teach me about faith in exactly. Jesus. Yeah. Right. And I think so much, you know, uh, 
as you were speaking, I was thinking of just this idea that the ordinary is sacred, right? The ordinary is holy, whether that be ordinary people like Mary, who was a very ordinary person, um, or whether that just be ordinary experiences um, are mm-hmm. sacred and are holy. And I think that that's something that, that uh, as I was, you know, again, investigating this idea of an Awalita faith that just kept coming back over and over and over again. You know, um, I like to say that beauty salons and dining tables and, you know, all of these ordinary places are sacred and holy places. Um, and ordinary people are sacred and um, have something or so much, you know, to teach us. I don't like to say the bare minimum. Oh, we of course we can learn. No, we have the most to learn from uh, just quote unquote ordinary people. And so, yeah, so I think that that's something um, that even I want to continue to meditate on in this Advent season is the idea of, you know, or, or not the idea, but sort of asking myself, where can I experience God? Um, from who can I experience God where I haven't been trained uh, to look, where I haven't been trained to experience the holy or to meditate on the sacred? You know, um, for me lately, it's been so much of it has been just literally outside and, and in the with my hands in the dirt and experiencing God in moments like that. So, yeah, I think that would, you know, it's a wonderful thing to meditate on this Advent season. It's just the idea that the ordinary is sacred. Oh, my gosh. You're totally speaking my language, Kat. I'm 100% (laughs) here for it. And and when both of you, Kat and Patty, when you were both talking, I just kept thinking about this idea of this great cloud of witnesses, Mm. right? Like, we do not go forward alone. And even this kind of, like, mistake mystery of like our ancestors with us even now and um when I wrote my prayer for all saints day I almost like felt that like embodied in you know here I am in 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 2021 and and I'm and I'm working and I'm writing and I'm living a life that the women that went before me could probably not even imagine. And and I'm coming from a perspective of a white woman. So how much more for both of you and your ancestors? And it's just, it's beautiful. And I think about like what they have to tell us right now, not just what we can learn from their past experiences, but like this, this mystery of entering into conversation almost like with them right now now did you have that experience when you were writing yeah I would say that that was something um that I I was able to really lean into is just this idea that um you know the idea of ancestors or the idea of our spiritual ancestors um the idea of gleaning from you know the cloud of witnesses those who have come before us is not just something in the past or something that you know happened back then, um, but it's an ongoing living thing. You know, I think of as you guys might know, I'm a huge Bible nerd. I just I want to you know reclaim a lot of it that has been used and misused. Um, but yeah, just the same way that that the Bible I I believe can just speak to these undeniable beautiful truths to us over and over again. Um, as we read it with new lenses and through new perspectives, I think the same thing when it comes to the story of our, or just the stories that come from our ancestors. And I think that's something that I experienced over and over again, you know, as I was writing this book and 
and all of these stories of, of women who have done just incredible things and stories that aren't known, you know, and that's the thing that there are so many stories that are unknown um, because they aren't the stories that, again, that the dominant culture has chosen to highlight, you know, but they're just things that I can just continue to glean and continue to learn. You know, I think one, the simplest and most obvious detail that maybe a lot of people know, but not everybody knows is just this idea that Joanne Robinson was the one who sparked the Montgomery bus boycott, who, what would that then sparked, you know, the civil rights movement. I mean, these are things that need to be named and need to be said, you know, it was a black woman that did that, you know? Um, But a lot of people don't know that. And so, I'm, you know, these are things that we can still glean from that they aren't past truths, but they are living, you know, re- realities right now that we are, um, yeah, that we just need to continue to to dig up and uncover and excavate. You know, I think of that, that sort of that Jewish, um, I don't know what you would call it, but it's like this Jewish thing that they say that the jewel and every time you move the jewel, you know, you get a new face, you know, it's like the Torah, there's 70 faces to Torah and, and you keep moving the jewel around and you get, you know, a new perspective. And, and I think of that when it comes to the stories in the Bible of, of our ancestors and scripture and just our ancestors in history. Um, and so, yeah, so there's something beautiful about digging into our histories Um the, you know, different histories and, and um, being able to glean from these stories over and over and over again, you know, because these are stories of strength and survival and resistance and persistence. Yes, that, that is so good. And I think about Advent, you know, like Patty was saying, like, oh, wow, we have this every year. Like, what what is happening? Like, where do I find myself within this story? And I think about kind of these different ideas of time that we have. We have, you know, like, Kairos and Kronos. And I think Advent is an invitation into that Kairos time. It's kind of like Mm. beyond all space and Mm. all time. And like Mary's prayer, the Magnificat can be our own and we can Mm. live into that right Right. now. Like we can pray that and that can be our prayer. It's not just a prayer that was prayed and as, you know, old and dusty, but like that is living and we get to enter into that um, persistence and resistance right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's so good. It's so, it's hard to enter into something that you feel so far removed from. And, and it's not that right. it's not laid out for us. Like we, we can keep digging and see that it's all there, but we tend to so often take mm-hmm. what, whatever it is at surface level, you know, even just the wonderful example you gave about mm-hmm. the, the civil rights. Like I'm certain that many mm-hmm. of our listeners did not know that. And, and that's not to, you know, mm-hmm. shame or fault mm-hmm. anyone, but, you know, you take what's given. Who, who are the names that are always highlighted over and over again? And who are the, right. the, the men who are highlighted over and over again? What right. about the women? You know, every exactly. year, I, I, you know, for Black History, if I share things, I, I'm always so aware of trying to highlight women. And there's always someone who's like, oh, I didn't realize right. that, you know, it was, oh, she cooked so that they could keep marching? Oh, she did this so that they could, you know, right. do this? I'm like, yeah, like, right. that happened. <laughs> uh, but I, I wanted to also, <laughs> right. uh, oh, gosh, like my, like, like my mind is racing right now. I'm like, this is so good. <laughs> but I wanted to go back to, uh, as we continue to, I should say, talk about Advent and the particular chapter in your book where uh, is titled uh, Madre of Exile. And and thinking of, of Mary, you know, giving birth in, in a place after she's been exiled. And, and I think of 
of you and, and your origins and you're not in Miami, you're not in Cuba and you're getting ready to give birth. Like, do you right. identify or relate to that or see that connection at all between Mary and, and yourself and, and that feeling of exile and not being home? Hmm, that's such a good question. So this reminds me of my grandmother, of, of my abuela. Um, she says, you know, she she's still alive and she's in, you know, her late nineties and she has dementia. And so, you know, she's getting close to the end of, you know, very end of her life. Um, and, you know, with dementia, it's just so interesting, like what is going to, you know, bubble up to the surface, like what sort of memory or what, you know, cause you never really know, you never really know what she'll remember or, you know, what she's thinking about or, you know, any of those things. And, but she said to me a few months ago, you know, we were talking and, and a lot of our conversations are really just her asking the same questions over and over again, you know, because she'll ask something and then a few minutes later she'll forget. And then, but she said, you know, as she gets older and as her dementia, you know, just takes over more and more of her brain, um, she thinks more and more about Cuba and she always has. I mean, if you, I'm sure you guys know a little bit about Miami, but for so many of the Cuban exiles in Miami, um, I mean, that is really just all they think about, you know, it's really at the forefront of who they are, their identity, but it's, it's something that she's become more and more, you know, sort of obsessed with is just her Island in Cuba. And, and she talks about it incessantly and she thinks about it incessantly. And, and she's been in this country at this point, almost like about 50 years. She's been here a long time, you know, uh, for the majority of her life at this point. And she she literally said to me in Spanish, of course, because she's never learned English, which I just so love about her. She says to me in Spanish, um, you know, I've been here 50 years and, you know, I'll die here, but my bones will be buried in a land that is not my own. And I, I think that that is I literally cannot stop thinking about that. I think that's so profound that you can be somewhere for the majority of your life. And she's lived in the same like 10, I don't know, less than 10 mile, wow. you know, area, vicinity, whatever. Wow. Like she hasn't moved. She's had the same community, you know, her entire life or for the second half of her life. But her bones aren't going to be buried in a land that's hers. This is not her home. It's not her land. Um, and and that to me, it's, it's sad, but it's not, you know, because it, it just, ta- you know, communicates to me. Just the reality that land lives within us. And I talk about this a little bit in Awalita Faith, that there's something so profound about, you know, land. And there's something so sacred about the land that birthed us or the land of our ancestors. You know, I, I've never lived in Cuba, but Cuba lives within me. You know, that that's such a real truth that, you know, I, I've never stepped, I mean, I've literally never stepped foot on, in, on the island because of all the political unrest, because of all the term, turmoil, because my family's very against going back, you know, because of everything they experience. But I, I, it's almost like I am, it's familiar to me, you know, the, the land is familiar and, it's like, I know it, you know, and it's because, you know, I, it's, it's in my DNA. It's part of who I am. And so anyway, uh, as I think about, you know, this idea of land and I think about, um, you know, birthing another person in, in a land that a, yeah, not in Miami, it's not around my family. Um, but also 
I feel like she's going to be, you know, born with that too, with that idea that, that the land lives within her. Cuba will live in her, you know, um, and she may not understand or know, but it's going to be a piece of her that I, I hope that I can foster. And I hope that I can, as she gets older, um, that little, you know, spark in her that I can continue to, to let it, you know, flourish or fire or whatever you want to call it, that little, you know, flame, I can t continue to, to flame it. Um, because yeah, I think it's land really does live within us. And I think there's something profound about connecting to it, connecting to land. And so um, that's something that we want to do. You know, we want to raise her to be someone that, that knows the land that she was born on, you know, we wanted her to know the land um, and, and to also know the land that lives within her. Thank you for sharing. That was beautiful. I'm just like that's, taking that's it so in. so beautiful. The land that lives within her. I know. We're just sitting here like hands on our hearts. Like, I know. Oh. Like, you can't see us. So that's what we're doing. Like this is a moment. We're having a moment right now. Yeah. <laughs> Goodness. Well, as we kind of end our time together, which is shocking. I feel like this went so fast, Kat. You're incredible. Yeah. Who is inspiring you right now in this very moment um, with their persistence? Oh, that's good. That's a good question. So I have been slowly, like I'm talking about turtle speed, um, digging into braiding sweetgrass. I started it like a year ago, uh, Robin Wall Kimmer's book. I started it like a year ago and then I got a you know, a third of the way through. And I was like, this is too much, like too much as in like, I'm feeling too much. So I'm going to put it down. I'll pick it up, you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to wrestle with the first one third that I've been reading and then I'll come back to it. But I would say I, I've be, I'm being inspired by Robin Wall Kimmer, but mostly just um, how she has opened my world, you know, to seeing the sacred, um, and, and this, this notion of reciprocity and this notion of going back to the idea that, you know, everyday things are holy and sacred. Um, and I'm thinking so much about, yeah, the, the, the idea of, of reciprocity and give and take and mutuality. You know, I think as Christians, it's such, an, it's such a weird thing to wrestle with because we are in one way told that we are, you know, not supposed to be reciprocal. So we're supposed to just give and give and give as Jesus gave to us and, you know, just sort of incessant giving, um, which, you know, I think is, is fine. It's great. Um, but I think that there's something about wanting to receive um, as well. And, and by wanting to receive, I think understanding the, the depths and the beauty of mutuality of receiving from, folks that you wouldn't expect to receive from or things that you wouldn't expect to receive from, right? The land or, um, so yeah. So when I think of that, I think of, as we were talking about before, you know, who, who is teaching me, um, or what is teaching me that is not, um, heralded as a teacher, but is right. But is in, in my life. And so again, whether that be the land or whether that be, a creature, right? A creature of creation, or whether that be just a person walking down the street who I didn't, or, or a situation, you know, I also posted this on, on social media at one point, but, you know, I've, I've been sort of engaging in this, these spiritual practices of, of looking for God in these things. And, and um, sort of like in the Old Testament, we see so much of, of, the people of God, they experience God and they don't know they're experiencing God. They're, you know, they're, they, whether it's wrestling, Jacob wrestling with God or what, or an angel or whatever person, 
or, you know, whatever it is, people encounter this holy moment. They have a dream and they don't know that it's like a, a holy dream. And then after a while, they think, oh, wait a minute, God was here. You know, and they build that little altar and they they sort of commemorate that moment. And so I'm trying to do a lot of that. Wait a minute. God was there. Wait a minute. God's here, you know, um, because it's so easy to go through our lives not realizing that God was there or God is here. Um, and so anyways, all of that has been sparked by <laughs> Robin Wall Kimmerer's braiding sweetgrass and just looking for those moments of reciprocity, um, where I can also receive in places that I, I wasn't trained to, to think that I can glean anything from. I cannot tell you how much I love that. And for the record, that book has just shot its way to the top of my list. I've been wanting to get to it for so long. And our mutual friend and my coworker, Mariah Humphreys, you know, t- tells me about it. And oh, I'm like, this is, I've yes. talked to her I'm about like, this it is the book that you would recommend to Jesus. I need to read this book. But I, I really, gosh, God okay. is in everything. Uh, you know, we just, it speaks to how much we will naturally, naturally limit God and, and how it really does right. take oh, yeah. persistence to see past the walls that we have built, uh, you know, of, of, of the box oh, we've yeah. put God in. So I just, I love that you, that you highlighted oh, that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I often say that we treat, God or we treat the Holy Spirit or we treat Jesus as if, you know, it's like a spirit that you have to summon. Like something is only Christian if you say it's Christian or if it's inherent, you know, Jesus, you know, like you have to like call upon the name of Jesus in order for something to be Jesus-y. I mean, I don't know. It's like just this weird thing. Um, But I don't see that that's consistent with the Bible. I don't see that's consistent with, you know, so much of what we read that God doesn't need to be summoned, you know, in order for God to be present. And so I think that that's already with us. Right, right. And then we can see the sacred and the ordinary because we know that God's already there. Like we have. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, what a gift it is uh, in order, you know, to to be able to have eyes to see, you know, and I think that we need to be intentional about that. And and as you said, Patty, you just need to, you know, persist in that. Persist in in looking past, you know, whatever it is that we've been trained to look and, and look deeper, you know, and, and by looking deeper, really, it's just looking right in front of us at what's already there, um, but having the eyes to see it. Thank you so much for that. And especially going into so this good. season to Advent, you know, like yeah. I feel like we really are going to yeah. have the opportunity, thanks to all that you've shared, um, to, to really view it with, with new, fresh eyes. And, and I, for one, really deeply appreciate that. So thank you. Yes, yeah, same, I'm so glad. Same, no, same. Thank you guys. Okay, Kat, for listeners that might be um, new to your amazing writing and work and ministry, where can they find you? Yeah, so um, my website, katarmas.com, I have links there to my book. If you don't want to purchase through Amazon, <laughs> if you want to purchase through other links. Um, also my podcast, if you want to check that out, The Protagonistas, The Protagonistas. Um, and yeah, those are, that's, you know, Two places you can look or also um, just on social media, cat underscore Armas on Twitter or on Instagram. And your social media is like one of my favorite yes. places. You're same here. Oh, thank you. Same thank here. You. So make sure you follow her everywhere. Oh, not go on yes. yes. <laughs> oh gosh. Well, this conversation oh, so has funny. been phenomenal. And we want you to spend the rest of your day resting and taking care of your body as you're counting down to welcoming your sweet baby. So I will close this out um, by just reminding our listeners that you can always learn more at upside downpodcast.com or at upside down podcast on Instagram. 
Instagram. You are always welcome to join our Facebook group, which is called Upside Down Together. And there we process through episodes with the lens of God's Upside Down Kingdom. We so appreciate seeing you share our podcast episodes, rating and reviewing, and making sure that people in your own community listen to these conversations that are making an impact with you. So thank you so much and keep on persisting.